From the Salvation Army, welcome to the Holiness Podcast with Lieutenant Colonel Vern Jewett. In this monthly Bible study, we'll be exploring God's gift of holiness, which is offered to every Christian. To download this month's study guide, visit us at salvationarmysoundcast.org slash holiness. Hi, this is Vern Jewett, and I welcome you to the Holiness Podcast by the Salvation Army. It's a joy to be with you today, and we're glad that you have listened in. And we are beginning a new study uh, on Romans chapters 5 to 8. Before we delve into that, I think I would just uh, share with you kind of the approach we take here uh, for these podcasts, which are monthly. Our desire in this podcast is to do an in-depth Bible study. So if you enjoy turning to a text and following a theme and digging in a little deeper maybe than we usually have the opportunity to, this is the place for you. Romans 5 to 8 has been called the only thematic treatment of sanctification in the Bible. And so for the next three months, we're going to uh, take three podcasts and dedicate them to this passage of Scripture. Now, those of you who are familiar with Romans know that uh, of the 16 chapters, there are some very clear divisions. I would suggest that chapters 1 to 4 are about justification. Chapters 5 to 8 are about sanctification. Chapters 9 to 11 are a treatment, challenging one, on election. And then chapters 12 to 16 are, I think, very well-labeled consecration because there is a turn to the practical living of sanctification. And all of this is a presentation in a very systematic way of salvation by the Apostle Paul. This month we're going to uh, divide those four chapters up into uh, three sections. In the first section, we're going to deal with chapters five and six. Now, the theme is that holiness is the fruit produced by salvation. We are saved to be holy. I want to read a wonderful verse from chapter 6, verse 22, which as I was studying jumped out at me as an excellent summary of chapters 5 and 6. And we're going to use it as a guideline and an outline for us in our study. This is the New International Version, Romans 6, 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. What a great verse. And there you will see the outline of our study today. You have been set free from sin. You have been emancipated and enslaved to God. You have been recreated. You have also been sanctified. 
You have fruit for holiness. The NIV says the benefit leads to holiness. And then we are bound for glory. Destination for all of us is the life of the age to come. So we are looking today at being free from sin, being slaves to God, and we're going to start by talking about this uh, emancipation that takes place in our lives when we come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Verse 20 in chapter 6 says, When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. Well, think about that for a minute. That freedom is spurious. It is degrading. And it describes a freedom that does not put us in good stead and leaves us bereft of relationship with God. Being slaves to God, in verse 22, on the other hand, gives us true liberty. This is a freedom which is authentic and ennobling. John Stott says, what is the fruit of this freedom and according to our text, the fruit is holiness. Freedom is an interesting topic. Commissioner Ed Reed is one of the wonderful holiness teachers of the Salvation Army, uh, particularly in the uh, last half of the last century. And he talked about the Slavery Abolition Act of the British Empire that took effect in August on August 1st, 1834. Now, he says in one of his messages on holiness as he was talking about freedom to choose, that he often uh, told this story before he ever realized the Salvation Army was going to appoint him to Jamaica. And this story is from the country of Jamaica but he encountered it in his reading and it described the Emancipation Day for all those who were enslaved throughout the world in the various parts of the British Empire. Jamaica was one. Our northern neighbor Canada was part of the empire at that time, as were many countries around the world. But this is the story of what happened on August 1st, 1834, when at long last the day of their emancipation was breaking, the slaves in Jamaica, who had climbed to the summits of the highest hills that they might not miss a moment of it, no sooner saw the sun's rim rise above the horizon than they laughed and wept and sang and danced and threw their arms around each other's necks and fell upon their knees in prayer and all alike kept crying in a kind of dazed and happy ecstasy. We are free. We are free. We are free. Commissioner Reed said he told that story several times to West Indians 150 years after the event recalling for them the men and women who had been so brutalized by the horrors of one of history's 
most iniquitous systems, Jamaicans and Guyanese. And I've visited Jamaica several times in Guyana and have seen how they cherish their freedom. In those islands, identify with those ancestors in their suffering and bondage, and even today they prize their freedom more because of it. Now, I've seen people come to know the Lord Jesus and celebrate life in that same fashion with their loved ones and their friends. After all, why not? The hold of sin, that old slave master, is broken. Scripture does not say sin is dead, but the believer is dead to it, separated from it effectively by the death of Christ. At the same time, we are the ones with Jesus in his life sharing his resurrection power. We are therefore free in a way no non-Christian is free, liberated from the hold of evil habits and the dominion of an evil heart. You can choose to Present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Romans 6, 13 from our passage. We are urged to go on choosing this new master and to yield to him completely. Standing in the shadow of the cross, we choose Christ. We've been emancipated. Now, as the practical point and happy outcome of such an emancipating experience, our character will undergo a positive transformation. Our character, our behavior will be better. Our conduct will be more Christ-like. From bearing the bad fruit of carnality, we turn to fruitfulness of the highest kind. It's interesting, the word that is translated benefit in most of the new translations, including the NIV and the NASV and the RSV, that word literally is fruit. And most commentators translate it, the fruit which leads to holiness. It's almost as though the translations are a little more of an interpretive device in this case. Uh, there's no reason not to see us bearing the fruit of holiness as the result of our freedom in Christ. We are urged to go on choosing this new master and to yield to him completely. Standing in the shadow of the cross, we choose Christ. Now, Made holy by Christ's cross, we're possessed of the principle of holiness. The process of salvation and the event of salvation for the Apostle Paul, and in these four chapters, Wesley taught this throughout his entire life, is made up of justification, which is the time of our conversion when we are uh, freed and forgiven of our sins and we become children of God. We are justified in God's sight. It's made up of justification and of 
sanctification. Sanctification is being set apart and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, which we'll deal with in chapter 8. And sanctification is the ongoing experience of a Christian. So from being emancipated, let's take a moment and talk about being recreated. Our text says that we are freed from sin and have become servants of God. We were dead to sin, but now we've become alive in Christ. This is uh, challenging reading in chapters 5 and 6, but it's really quite clear that Paul is contrasting what most students would call the two humanities, two orders of existence. There is the old humanity, which is characterized in chapter 5 as in Adam, and the new humanity, which is characterized as being in Christ. Later on, the old humanity, where sin reigns in death, is described as being in sin. And the new humanity, where grace reigns in righteousness, is described as being in Christ. So the first man, the old man, is the old fallen humanity. Christ, as the new man, the last Adam, is the new redeemed humanity, which in fact is all of us who are part of the church. Now this idea of being recreated, you know, only divine power can recreate. The rest of us have to deal with what we have and work with what already exists. I want to read verses 5 through 11 in chapter 6 which talks about resurrection power. Romans 6, 5 to 11. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, Paul says to his readers and to us, Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This resurrection power that recreates us reminds us of Ephesians 4.24, where we're told to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You see, in Adam, in sin, we are deprived of the created relationship with the righteousness and holiness of God. Each of us is a sinner by choice 
and an alien by birth. But in Christ, when we become part of the new humanity, grace reverses what sin produces. The reason we are set free from sin, as it says in chapter 5, verse 21, grace must reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Christ our Lord. The point in chapter 5, verse 12, through the end of that chapter, and then in chapter 6, is that sin and grace are incompatible. That's going to be a key factor as we begin to think about sanctification as it's taught in these uh, chapters. I'd like for us to pause for a moment and reflect upon what we've considered up to now. We're emancipated, free from sin. We're recreated. We're alive in Christ and described as servants of God. And the fruit of this is our sanctification. And finally, we're bound for glory. Let me reread that text once more. 6.22, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. If you were with us in the last podcast, which actually was part of the holiness seminar in the, in the Florida division, You'll remember us saying we are saved to be holy. We are saved to be holy, as this text makes very clear. So let's talk about sanctification as the fruit produced being holiness. Paul was writing to Christians in Rome who were not experiencing the joy and victory of being alive in Christ. Actually, they were struggling with sin in their lives. Like the Corinthian Christians, who, as you remember, in chapter 3, were not growing and were babes in Christ. They were saved and stuck. They knew about justification, but they were not experiencing sanctification. I believe it is no different for us today. We don't have to look very closely in our world before we discover a startling fact. Sin is everywhere. There's not a person who has not known the reigning and ruling power of sin. They pass us on the streets. They work with us in the marketplace. They sing with us at church. They eat with us in our homes. They are us. Into this world that is dominated by sin, comes the justification of sinners. This Pauline doctrine of justification by faith, however, has been misunderstood by many people in every generation, including Paul's own. They have misused the justification of sinners to justify their sin. They say to themselves, 
If grace abounds where sin increases, then why not sin that grace may abound more and more? You recognize that from our passage. The great mistake in this perception is that it fails to understand that the grace of God not only forgives the sinner, but also frees him from the reign and rule of sin. I think holiness is the desperate need and message for the church today. Every week there are people who come to church, sit in the pew, sing the hymns, hear the word, and claim the grace of God. And yet these people have never been claimed by the grace of God. From Monday through Sunday, they're dominated by the ruthless power of sin. Their relationships are fragmented. Their homes are in turmoil. Their emotions are tossed. Their willpower is broken. I've been a pastor for 45 years, and I've listened to so many people confess their shattered lives over and over. And tell me I tried as hard as I could, Captain, and finally decide that's the best they can do. Does the church have a word of hope for the sin-tossed? Absolutely yes. Listen to Romans 6, parts of verse 12 and 14. Therefore, do not let sin go on reigning in your mortal body, for sin will no longer rule you as Lord, for you are not under law, but under grace. F.F. F. Bruce, that wonderful scholar, calls Romans 6 the way of holiness. William Greathouse says the interpretive key to Romans 6 is Paul's distinction between the indicative and the imperative moods. Now, see, you never know what you're going to get when you listen to this podcast. A little bit of uh, English grammar reminder. The indicative mood describes what was, what is, or what shall be. The imperative mood decides what must be. It is a William Greathouse who says that it is the interplay of those moods that really makes the difference in chapter 6. And there are three imperatives. This is our part. This is what we must do. And this is how we consecrate. Remember, we consecrate, God sanctifies. Verse 11, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Verse 12, offer or yield yourselves to God. And then verse 19, offer your body in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. So in both verse 19 and verse 22, we are told that by offering ourselves and receiving what God has for us, we can be righteous leading to being holy. I've thought several times while I've been studying in preparation for this podcast that 
being saved to be holy, is who we are. This is who we are. We are sanctified and emancipated and recreated and glory bound. Now, this is a perfect place to emphasize what is the great difference between justification and sanctification. Justification is when our sins are forgiven. It relates to the acts of sin, to sins committed. And surely the Roman Christians understood and I believe claimed that they were justified even as many Christians today. But sanctification is the power of the sinful condition. It speaks of sins inherited. And sanctification is where the power of sin is broken. Let's expand on that for just a moment. Justification happens at conversion. Your sins are forgiven once for all. It's done. It's a completed act. It's a transaction that takes place in an instant. When we are saved, we are justified and we are counted as righteous. Sanctification begins at that moment. And while justification happens only once in a moment of time, sanctification describes the rest of our lives until we die. And this is where the great privilege of claiming the power of God and living, being led by the Spirit of God, which is going to be the the great teaching in Romans chapter 8 when we get there. The power of sin can be broken in our lives. Not just forgiveness in God's sight. We referred to that last week in our teaching session on Wesleyan Arminianism as imputed righteousness. This is imparted righteousness The power of sin, the condition of sin, is broken in our lives when we are saved. The key to making that a reality in our lives is to respond to those imperatives by counting ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, by yielding and offering ourselves to Him, and by offering ourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. We can experience ongoing submission, consecration. We can be growing. We can be cleansed. One of my favorite hymns and possibly my very favorite verse is from Charles Wesley. His hymn, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise. Many of you will know it by heart. But that last verse speaks to this reality. He breaks the power of canceled sin. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. It is a great, true doctrinal statement about justification and sanctification. Sin is canceled. 
That's justification. But for too many of us, sin still has power in our lives. But Wesley's hymn teaches what we have just discovered and delineated out of Romans chapters 5 and 6. He breaks the power of canceled sin. That's sanctification. And on top of it, perhaps uh, Charles Wesley was thinking of our theme verse. He sets the prisoner free. His blood. We've already observed that the power is resurrection power. It's the power of the blood shed by Jesus for all creation and all of humanity. His blood can make the foulest clean. All of us know ourselves and our own sin the best, don't we? But his blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. A simple outline can help us understand this salvation, which we like to call full salvation. And I want you to have a full awareness of this distinction between justification and sanctification. In justification, he brought us out of our sin. In sanctification, he brought us in to his family. Justification is what Christ does for us. Sanctification is what the Spirit does in us. Justification removes the guilt of sin. Sanctification breaks the power of sin. Justification is a judicial act in the mind of God. An inward change in the heart of man is sanctification. Justification forgives our sins. Sanctification cleanses our sin. Justification makes us positionally holy. But sanctification, by the power of God's Holy Spirit in us, makes us actually holy. Perhaps the greatest doctrinal tragedy of our day is that millions of Christians have accepted a gospel that is defined only by justification. They have enough faith to get out of Egypt, but not enough to get into Canaan. Such a gospel leaves people doing laps in the desert of spiritual mediocrity for their entire lives. The message today is that we are saved to be holy. Sanctification is the norm for Christians. It's seen here in this passage as the intermediate condition between what was true of us as believers before we were converted and what will be true of us at the resurrection when we inherit eternal life. Sanctification is then something that is supposed to lead to eternal life not merely happen when we obtain eternal life, just as iniquity in this life leads to death. Holiness of heart and life is what God expects. In fact, it's what God requires of his people. When one becomes a slave of God who obeys God's call and God's will, 
The process of sanctification, of cleansing, has begun in that human life. It is something that continues as the believer continually must submit to be used in a right and righteous manner to the Holy Spirit within. One must present oneself to God as a living sacrifice every day. The promise given here is that believers have been freed from the bondage of sin, but freed for service and obedience to God. Dear friend, I pray and hope that this wonderful description of who we are as saved by grace, that we are sanctified, that we are emancipated, that we are recreated, and that we are bound for glory. I pray that you will uh, turn your heart and mind to the truth of this promise of God and experience what it means to be freed from sin and freed unto obedience to God. Now, we have an interesting time ahead of us for the next two podcasts. We're going to look at chapter 7 in the next podcast, and specifically just maybe to whet your appetite. I, I'm sure you probably have encountered those verses that have confused so many people where Paul says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. That happens to be chapter, uh, verse 15 in chapter 7. We're going to see that this struggle is not that of a Christian. And we're going to examine what has been a, a great debate in the church over how to interpret that particular chapter and passage. So I hope you join us. Just to give you a little hint, you can only believe chapter 7 is describing a Christian struggle if you don't believe what we just studied in chapter 6 and we'll find in chapter 8. And then we'll look at chapter 8 and we will look at the spiritual nature which is the sanctified believer living a life led by the Holy Spirit. God bless you, each one. It's been great to be with you. We look forward to seeing you again next month. Thanks so much for listening, and we'd love to hear from you. Share your thoughts, questions, or prayer requests. Visit us at SalvationArmySoundcast.org slash holiness. And if you're enjoying this Bible study, share it with a friend. They can subscribe wherever they get their podcasts. Thank you.